Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. the privilege of getting to meet here at First Pres for the next six months. So this is where we will be until Easter Sunday. So yeah, thankful. The bulletin you received talks a lot about what we'll do while we're here. And we really felt like we were wanting to go back uh, to the fundamentals of Christianity. We were wanting to go back to the basics. Um, we were wanting to continue to explore topics like, you know, love and what it looks like to follow Jesus and love. And so the bulletin says more about that. But for the next six months, we'll be talking about what it means to follow Jesus and love, what it means to follow Jesus and worship, what it means to follow Jesus and trust and risk, what it means to follow Jesus and submit to authority, what it means to follow Jesus and serve, and what it means to follow Jesus and forgive. Not, we won't just talk about these things in a general way. We'll talk about how they work themselves out here at Radiant Church. And at the end of the six months, there'll be an opportunity for you to enter into a membership covenant with Radiant Church. So that's what we'll be up to for the next six months. And I've said this before, but much of what Jesus teaches us, much of what Jesus calls us to is very simple in theory, but very, very difficult in application. Something like loving your enemies, easy enough, right? It's a pretty simple theory, really difficult in application. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to worship, have faith, what it is to serve, submit, forgive. These things that, again, we think we understand because they're simple in theory, but very, very difficult in application. So we want to follow them into those tough places, and that's what we'll be doing for the next six months. We're starting with love. And I don't even want to say this morning that we're starting with love because I believe that we've already started. And what we'd like to do is, I know that our last couple of Sundays at Rotary, the last couple Sundays at Rotary, we had been talking about love. The last chapter of Jonah is all about God's love. Jonah is saying to God, I don't understand your love. And God is saying to Jonah, well, I don't understand your love, Jonah. And so the last chapter of Jonah is all about God's love. So we were talking about God's love back in September. The next week we talked about the win at Radiant. There's been an increase, we've grown, there's been an increase in diversity, and there's come a real need for alignment here in the church and I found myself wondering, what's, what is the greatest thing we could do as a church? There's a lot of great things that we can do, but what's the greatest thing? What would you have us do? And I really felt like the Lord called me back to simply loving God, loving our brothers, and loving others. And that is the win here at Radiant. And both of those teachings uh, we duplicated and are available 
And I would encourage you to pick one up and give it a listen and just be refreshed because I'm hoping that the rest of the month of October will just be a continuation of what we started in September. So even for myself, I had to listen to those teachings to try to remember what I talked about last week. So I'm guessing if I had to do that, you might need to refresh yourself as well. So we duplicated those discs. I duplicated those discs. I don't typically like to hear myself talk. I don't typically like to listen back to my sermons. Um, I get really critical when I do. Um, those, uh, those sermons, I was excited to duplicate, <laughs> which I can't say, you know, of most of my sermons. I was excited to mass produce those because I really do feel like something, uh, God is up to something here in this church and he had something for us those Sundays. So please grab one. If you're wondering what Radiant is all about and where we're headed, grab the one about the win at Radiant. If you're interested in God's love as it compares to our love, grab the one on Jonah chapter four. So we're starting with love, but we've already started talking about love. Um, Love, as I shared before, uh, is the greatest thing we can do as a church. There's a lot of um, incredible things that we could achieve. There's a lot going on that I'm very excited about here in the the church. um, there's There's lots that we can accomplish. But if we've not loved one another, if we've not loved God, then we've missed it. And we talked a couple weeks ago about 1 Corinthians 13. But love is described in scripture as the most excellent way. This is why we're starting with love. Love is described as the greatest thing. This is why we're starting with love. As Christians, we're called to be compelled by love. Paul writes, for it is Christ's love that compels us. It's to mark us as Christians. Jesus said that the world would know us by our love. It's the marker of the church to the watching world. The marker to the world around us is an obvious love for one another. The other reason we're starting with love is because the scripture tells us it never fails. So we're starting with what works. It never fails. Uh, In Matthew 25, uh, judgment day is depicted for us. And God separates sheep from goats. Maybe you've read this before. And the test of a man is not how he's believed, but how he is loved. It's the test of religion. It's not how I have believed. It's not religiousness, but it's love. The other thing I found interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, and another reason that we're starting with love, and I want to say this, is that love is eternal. If you remember at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And we know that one day when we stand before God, faith is going to give way to sight. And we know that one day when we stand before God, our hopes are going to come to fruition. Our hope is going to become experience. But the thing that will remain, the thing that is eternal is love. Because God is love. The eternal God is love. And it will last. 
Open your Bibles to 1 John 4. We're going to read um, verse 7 through 19. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not, the one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given to us from his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent the son as savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. For we are as he is in the world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Dear friends, it begins, let us love one another. And as Christians, we know, as Christians, we know that we're supposed to restructure our lives around loving God and loving our neighbor. Correct? We know that as Christians, we're called to restructure our lives around this. But what I love about this passage is that it makes very clear that the reason we love is because he loved us. We love because he loves. This last uh, scripture, uh, verse 19, is, is interesting to me. It says, we love because he first loved us. And what I think is really interesting about it is it doesn't say we love him because he first loved us. It says, we love because he first loved us. It's not just that we love him because he first loved us. We have a capacity and an impulse to love, period, because he first loved us. We've been created to resemble him. And because of that, because we've been created in his image, we have a capacity to love. We have an impulse to love. We love because he loved. We love because he first loved us. We must first understand God's love for us if we have any hope of loving him and loving our neighbors. We first got to receive his love, understand his love for us if we have any hope of loving one another. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? Why would we do that? Because God is love and love comes from God. 
If you're here today and you're having a hard time loving, it may be that you're out of touch with God's love for you. If you're here this morning and you're having a tough time forgiving, it may be you're out of touch with the reality that God has forgiven you. It starts with the knowledge of God. It starts with an understanding of God. Because the mission originates in his heart. Tozer says this in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. There is scarcely a failure in applying Christian ethics that cannot be traced finally to an imperfect and ennoble thoughts about God. He goes on to say, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why? Because we become like what we worship. To say it another way is the God that you see is the Christian that you'll be. The God that you see is the Christian that you'll be. If you see a loving God, if when you think about God, you think about his love for you, you will be a loving Christian. If you're in touch with how he's forgiven you, then you'll be a forgiving Christian. If your idea of God is someone who's stoic and distant and angry and mostly frustrated, if you see an angry God, you'll be an angry Christian. The God you see is the Christian you'll be. Tozer goes on to write that our idea of God correspond as nearly as possible to the true being of God is of of immense importance. So this morning, before we get on to talking about how we're called to love God and how we're called to love one another, I want to talk about God's love for us. So let's look at the love of God. A point worth making that John reiterates over and over again in this passage is that God is love. Love is not something God has. God is love. In the Trinity we see um, love expressed in really unique ways. And I want to draw your attention, obviously, in a half an hour, I'm not going to, I'm not even going to pretend to do justice to God's love. You won't leave with anything more than some thoughts about God's love. You know, we could talk about this for the next year and still not do it justice. But I do want to share just a few things that have popped out to me about the love of God for us. I want to talk about the searching love of the Father, the dying love of the Son, and the abiding love of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling love of the Holy Spirit. This relationship uh, between the Trinity is, is fascinating to me. It's beautiful. It is a love relationship. We have the Father in heaven Sending his son. We have the son sending the Holy Spirit. And then we have the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus, revealing the son. And we have the son Jesus revealing the father. 
Jesus was constantly revealing the Father. He kept saying, and you've probably read it before, if you've seen me, you've seen him. His mission here was to reveal the Father. And he did this often by telling parables. And a parable is a story that comes along and parallels a truth inside the kingdom. And in Luke, there's a series of three parables. We talked about one at length in Rotary. We talked about the parable of the prodigal son. But there's actually three parables inside Luke that deal with a father losing something. And I think that Jesus was trying in these parables to explain to us, this is what God's like. This is what your father is like. This is probably the most, could potentially be the most famous of the three In Luke 15 it reads, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable, Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The love of the Father is a searching love. The love of the Father is a pursuing love. The love of the Father is a love that initiates. And the love of the Father is one that rejoices over us. You need to hear this this morning. You need to be reminded of this this morning. The love of the Father is a love that searches. The love of the Father is a love that pursues. God seeks the lost. I want to point out three things about this parable, and not just this one, but the others that appear around it. But what I want to say is that the love of the Father searches until He finds. His search is an until found search. His search is not an until tired search. His search is an until found search. His search is an until rescued search. Not an until obligations are fulfilled search. God seeks the lost and reminds us to do the same. How quickly we give up on people. The Father's searching is one that ends in joy. The Father's search is not like your search. That typically only ends in relief. His search ends in joy. 
I hope that I'm not the only parent here who's lost a child. (laughs) But that's a terrible, terrible feeling. When you're in a department store and you can't find your kid and just panic ensues. And you start searching desperately. You start yelling. You start screaming. You start searching. And then what happens (laughs) when we find our child? It's not joy. (laughs) Right? Get over here! Don't you ever wander off like that again. Your mom is sick. She's in the, the, the bathroom throwing up right now. You've wandered off. You stay right by my side. You do not move, you know. The father in this uh, story, he joyfully puts uh, the sheep on his shoulders. The father's search ends in joy. Ezekiel 34 says this, I will search for the lost and bring the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. The Father's love is a rejoicing love. Once he finds, he gathers and he says, let's rejoice together. I think it's pretty interesting that it says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one. We're, talking, we're not talking about a God who has 99 sheep and wants to add another. We're talking about a God who has a hundred sheep and has lost one. There's a big difference between those two things. There's a big difference between Tiffany and I losing a child and Tiffany and I hoping to have a fourth. The father has a hundred sheep and he's lost and he searches until found. The father's love in this parable is a rejoicing love. This, past, this uh, scripture in Zephaniah you've probably heard before. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you in singing. Does this challenge your picture of God? Does this challenge what you see? Does this challenge your thoughts about God? My dad phoned me up a couple weeks ago. Sorry, Dad. Probably should have gotten consent. I don't give Tiffany consent, so I don't know why I'd give you consent. My dad phoned me up, and he, he, he says, uh, you know, hey, can we get together? And... Um, and I was, and I was really busy, but I made time for it. And because I immediately thought I was in trouble, (laughs) 
I don't know what it was, but when he phoned, I was like, oh man, I ticked him off when I was living out there and mom finally talked him into sharing why he was so upset. I don't know why. That's not because that's who my dad is. That's just where I went. And I was like, okay, my dad's either upset or he has cancer. He's going to tell me he has cancer. You know, this is kind of what's running through my head. And so we sit down at at, uh, Chinese food and conversations kind of dragging along and I'm kind of like I wonder why I'm here with my dad and um, then so it gets like really quiet for a few seconds and he's like Travis I brought you here to lunch because I just wanted to tell you how proud I was of you and I think I don't know if it was because I thought I was going to hear that he had cancer or that I was in trouble, uh, but I just kind of immediately broke. And I don't know. I, I just think that that day I, I, needed to be, I needed to be pursued. I needed to be sought out uh, by my dad. And I just needed to be like rejoiced over. It had been a really difficult week, and um, he went on to, to share why he was so proud of me. And I, I just left the lunch feeling like I could run through a wall. And for some of you, you don't have that relationship with your dad. The good news is, is that God promises to be a father to the fatherless. And I'm telling you this morning that he searches for you. And he rejoices over you with song. (laughs) He sings over you. This word rejoice implies he, he spins around over you. that should seriously disrupt your your idea of who God is. A God who is spinning circles over you. That's not what I see. (laughs) That's not what I see. We have deep longings for, for a father to pursue us. I have many people in the life of this church Um, that have sown into the life of this church that I know that if I get in trouble, I can call them. Hey, if you ever get in a pinch, man, give me a ring. I'll be right there. I know that there are 10 men that I could phone right now and they would be all over it. But deep down, secretly, I sometimes wish that they would phone me. And I hear that longing in many people. I know that there are people that are available to me. I know that there are people that I could reach out to and they would respond. I wish sometimes someone was reaching out to me. God is reaching out to you. And he is rejoicing over you. And I hope that that maybe changes. I'm hoping that maybe your idea of God would be changed this morning.
Jesus' love is a dying love. It's a love that's selfless. It's a love that's understanding. It's a love that's obedient. And it's a love that takes responsibility. One of the common misconceptions about love, and we might not ever say this, but I do think that we think this, is that love is a feeling. That love is a good emotion that we experience. And what's interesting about that idea is that no no matter how intense you feel something, it doesn't assure that somebody else will feel it. I can be really excited and come home. I mean, I'm really feeling it. And it doesn't ensure that my wife is going to feel that same thing. I can be really upset and come home, wanting Tiffany to also be upset. And just because I feel something strongly, it doesn't ensure that she's also going to feel that. It's not until our love, uh, I guess it's not until our love compels us to action that we create a bridge and connect with somebody It's not until our feelings move us to act that we create and we're able to connect. It's not until love expresses itself in action. It's not until love fleshes itself out. And this is what we have in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he did something. It doesn't read that God so loved the world that he felt something. And he just kept feeling it. And he just kept enjoying this emotion. God so loved the world that he did something. And I want to say to you that the love of Jesus doesn't just feel, feel things. The love of Jesus does things. In Luke 4, um, Jesus is announcing his mission And he essentially says that he's been anointed and that the love of God is here to share. The love of God is here to restore. The love of God is here to preach. The love of God is here to liberate. The love of God is here to rescue. The love of God is here to give sight to the blind. Paul writes, The life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Jesus takes responsibility for our sin. His love moves him to the place where he takes responsibility for our sin. Was it Jesus' fault that we sinned? Love compels him to take responsibility for us. I know for myself, I struggle to take responsibility for even my own sin, let alone the sin of someone else. I won't even own my own weakness, let alone own somebody else's. The love of Jesus takes responsibility. The love of Jesus takes responsibility for others, takes responsibility for the church, takes responsibility uh, for this city, world. 
The love of Jesus takes responsibility. And really, in that way, it's heroic. Those are heroes to me. People who take responsibility. When no one else will. That's why firemen and police officers are heroes to us. Because when everybody else runs away, they run in. When everybody else disappears and is running for their lives, they put their lives on the line and run towards the danger. And that is heroic. And that is what Jesus Christ has done for us. When everybody, including yourself, was running away from your sins, he took responsibility and he died in your place. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How was, I I started thinking to myself as I was reading this, how was Jesus able to do this? I know he was fully God, but I also know that he was fully man. And for me, when I hear about somebody else's problems, I'm really quick to say, that's not my problem. (laughs) I don't concern myself with that. I didn't do that. I didn't get myself in that situation. Well, they've had it. They've had it coming. It's a long time coming. I mean, they've been doing this stuff for years, months. What was it that compelled Jesus to take responsibility? And I think that John chapter fifteen um, opened something up for me because Jesus says this: "As the Father loved me, so I have loved you." Jesus knew that he was love. He was confident in it, secure in it. I want to read you a passage from Ephesians. It's the end of chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 5. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Why? Just as Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Again, the reason that we love is because he loved. The reason that we love is not so that we can manipulate people, the reason that we love is not because people are deserving. The reason that we love is not so that we can get people to do what we want them to do. The reason that we love is not so that we can have our needs met. The reason that we love is because God has loved us. Again, we don't forgive people because they're deserving of forgiveness. We don't forgive because they've come to you and said that they're sorry. We forgive because Christ first forgave us. It starts with God. The Holy Spirit's love is an indwelling love. The Holy Spirit's love is an abiding love. The very end of that passage in 1 John says that God remains in us and his love is perfected in us. And I want to say this about the love of the Holy Spirit, that it comforts signs and wonders that we're after. And I think, um, and I think we should be. They point to a loving God who cares about what we're walking through. 
And in the end, that's what makes the difference. Jesus was continually healing people because he had compassion on them. It wasn't just because he had power over sickness. It was because he had compassion on them. That's what makes the difference. Tiffany and I this month uh, set a budget and, um, and made some decisions to give and felt like I'm not sure how we're going to pull this month off. And we got this, this check in the mail. You know, I, you know, you've heard this story before, so I'll save you the details. We got a check in the mail, and the check was significant. It was huge, and it was a refund on some overpaid um, taxes or something. I don't even understand. I didn't argue. I went to the assessor's office, and I, and I was like, is this for real? And they were like, yeah, it's for real. You should be receiving this check in the next two weeks. And I was like, how come? And he's like, well, I could get someone from the back to explain it to you. And I was like, no, I'm good. Just send it. But what makes the difference for Tiffany and I is not that amount of money, although it was fantastic to get that. What really made the difference for our hearts is to know that God knows where we're at and what we need. And that he's intricately involved in the details of life. Don't we long for that? That's what happens when somebody gets healed. It's like, what? God's here? And he cares? (laughs) And I'm not alone? I mean, this is what has the impact on our hearts, and I think it's what signs and wonders are designed to do. I think it's what miracles are designed to do. I think it's what the gifts of the Spirit are designed to do as well. Tongues is not about tongues. Tongues was about God's heart for the nations. It's meant to reveal something bigger than itself. The Holy Spirit enables us to participate in the redeeming work. Really quickly, I want to... I what time is it right now? 12.20? You guys are looking like it's 1.20. Has this been a long sermon? Everyone's like, oh God. <laughs> Thanks. And... Uh, In 2005, you know, Hurricane Katrina hit and it devastated those coastal cities. Um, And the amount of money and and manpower that went to the Gulf Coast was astounding. It was pretty incredible to watch. We're watching our neighbors helping neighbors and we're watching people come in from all over the country to help rebuild the Gulf Coast. And there was... One pretty unexpected effect, though, of the recovery effort, and that was this. The agencies involved with helping the families in the southeast were flooded with donations. Donations came in from all over the country, and volunteers came in as well. But other compassion organizations and other benevolence funds, they suffered. There was... There was only so much, really, that the population could give. By the time that Christmas in 2005 rolled around, many community food banks and shelters were in dire straits. And this wasn't because the American public had been stingy. It's just that we only had so much to give. 
Many had simply run out of resources, whether physically or financially. Their compassion resources have reached their limit. And this, I think, is the great lesson concerning the Holy Spirit in our lives. When our resources have reached their limit, when we feel like we've given everything that we've had to give, He not only teaches us about love, he is love dwelling within us. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray a few things over this group. If you feel comfortable, would you open your hands? And if you don't feel comfortable, would you open your hands? Because church isn't about being comfortable. Romans 15.13 May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Father, thank you for your searching love. Thank you that you've initiated. Thank you that even now you're pursuing us. Not because you're frustrated with us, but because you want to restore us gently and rejoice over us. Jesus, I praise you. Because you didn't have to do what you did, you chose to do what you did. You took responsibility for my sin, and not just for mine, but for the sins of the whole world. When everybody else was running away, playing the victim, you stood up. And ran in. And we worship you. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your power. Thank you for comforting us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for counseling us. Thank you for leading us into all truth. Thank you for enabling us. Thank you for allowing us to participate 
and God's redeeming work around the world. Thank you for your conviction. And would you continue to transform us? Amen. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. Great.